Here we go. We're in Genesis chapter 27 in our study through the entire Old Testament narrative. I didn't realize when I first set to be speaking in this particular section of Genesis just how appropriate it would be for Father's Day. This part of the story isn't just about Jacob. It's, um, it's about a family in crisis. It's about a really messed up family. Perfect for Father's Day, isn't it? It's about two brothers and two sisters. The thing that you probably have picked up by now as we've gone through these Old Testament narratives for grown-ups, not the kids' stories that we've cleaned up and sanitized and turned into cartoons, the one thing you notice is a glaring absence of true heroes. Have you noticed that? All these people that we hold up as, as great men and women of faith were very flawed people. We're unaccustomed to that when it comes to ancient literature. We believe ancient literature largely is morality stories, books of virtue with role models. The Bible sets itself apart as from God because it doesn't play that game. It reveals human beings for exactly who they are. We find that there's truth to it. We, we relate to these people that lived thousands of years ago. They're flawed just like us. You look at the Bible, you see a reflection of life. Life is messy. The story of the Old and the New Testament is that God is incarnational. He steps into that life, that flawedness, that mess, meets us with grace and redemption. And He even does that in our families. We see that today as we begin in Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock, bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty meat for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Just get a pause. I always laugh when I get to this part of the story because my brother was a bit of a clown. And that was my brother's life verse for a lot of years. My brother is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Yeah, he was, uh, he's gotten a lot deeper over the years. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and could bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. This is really a startling verse. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on the younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goatskins. And then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? 
Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, gave me success. Let's pause. Notice what Jacob says at this point in his life. We're going to track his life. We're going to back up and see how he got to this point where he would actually collude with his mother to con his father and rob his brother of his father's blessing. This is really a tragic moment for this family. But one of the indicators is that, first of all, he's willing to lie in the name of God. A lot of people do that today. A lot of us bring God into our deception. But, but even more than that, what Jacob says is really telling. It's not his God. It's his father's God. Your God blessed me. At this point, Jacob is far from God. And we're going to explore why he got that way and the results uh, this week and over the next week. Let's read on. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is like Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me uh, some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, then he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed. May those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and, and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered. Your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? We'll talk about that. He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright. Now he has taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, my father. And then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from your neck. 
Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning from my father are near, and then I will kill my brother. It's really a startling uh, moment here. Two brothers that have been competing on some level uh, their whole lives. Jacob stealing the blessing from Esau, who's the elder brother. A lot of people often ask, what's the difference between birthright and blessing? Because back in chapter 25, when they're still only young men, uh, Jacob connives and uh, uses Esau in a moment of weakness and uh, convinces Esau to get rid of his birthright. What's the difference between birthright and blessing? Well, when you put them together, they make up what we called last week the uh, protogenitor, the right of the eldest son. The birthright is the inheritance. The blessing is the authority over the family. So you put those two together, and what you have is the protogenitor, the, the elder brother being given authority over the family, stewardship over the resources, not just to possess, but to continue on the family name and care for the whole brood, so to speak. So this is really part two of a lifelong scheming in Jacob that his mother partners with him to actually usurp and put Jacob above Esau. It's really a dark thing. Jacob is a schemer. He's a scam artist. How and why? Why does he act this way? We see the answer to that by backing up to their birth in Genesis 25. Let's go back there quickly. I'm just going to read a, a small portion of this. Chapter 25, beginning at verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other. This is what I want you to see. The twins jostled with each other within her. Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and this is what was said to her. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. I have a lot of time to explore this, but remember, this is at the heart of Rebecca. She knows God said that the older will serve the younger. I'm guessing she told this to Isaac, but that's not where Isaac's heart is. Once again, what we have is a recurring pattern where people hear a promise from the Lord, but rather than trusting the Lord, they take it upon themselves to fulfill it. And every time that happens, it's disastrous, right? Ishmael out of Hagar. Instead of Abraham waiting for God to give him a child through Sarai. Again, we see this happening. People hearing God's promise instead of leaving it to God, taking it into their own hands. Let's read on. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out listen to this, with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. The boys grew up and Esau became a skilled hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And here is the root of the whole. It's prophesied through the birth, and it's all set up very early on by this dysfunctionality in the family. See, listen to this, this verse. Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. You know what Jacob was striving for his whole life? It was his father's blessing. 
And in not getting it from his father, he decided to take it for himself. That's so powerful. Let's just quickly contrast these two brothers. You have Esau, which literally means son of the desert, probably because the color of his skin matched the sand. He's also known as Edom, which means red. He is the progenitor of the Edomites that you read about in Scripture. Uh, he was a manly outdoorsman. He was a hunter. He was loved by Isaac. Therefore, we refer to Esau as a daddy's boy. Then you have Jacob, who literally means heel catcher. Imagine being just named that. And him holding that heel of Esau says something about both of them. It says that Jacob was going to be one who tripped people up. But it also said that Esau was going to be the kind that could be tripped up. Jacob is smooth. He's an indoors man. He's called quiet. Some would think that means he's noble. What it really means is he's a schemer. He keeps his plans to himself. And then when he launches them, they're devastating. But he's loved by Rebekah. Esau is a daddy's boy. What is Jacob? Yeah, he's a mama's boy. The fact that there was any competition like this as parents contributed to this devastating situation. Jacob having to compete to get what his father refused to give him. Rebecca favoring the younger, conniving at the expense of her firstborn son. This is really broken. I hope you see how screwed up this whole thing is. Esau is not wise. He squanders his privilege over and over again by a series of bad decisions. He's willing to give up half of his inheritance. He makes bad choices with his women. He marries from among those that God had said not to marry, and they were a cause of great burden to the family. He makes bad choices. Classic victim. Won't own his own issues, but will lay it all on his brother, who did hurt him, no doubt about it, but he certainly allowed himself throughout most of his life. Then you have Jacob, who competed with Esau his whole young life for his father's love, blessing, and affirmation, like an emotional black hole in his life. And he's willing to con his way to get it. And where do we have them as a result? Jacob seems to achieve technically mastery over his brother, but where does he end up? He ends up fleeing, hiding for his life, going to a different country where Rebekah's brother Laban lives. Technically, he won the battles, but he lost the war. Esau is embittered. Rebekah loses her favorite son. Isaac loses his family. So much for striving to get your own blessing your own way. This is a classic messed up family. And the beauty of it is this is the family that God says, through you I'm going to bless all nations. Isn't that encouraging to you? They didn't earn that right. They just got it. That's the thing we learn about God's call. You don't earn it, you just get it. God shows up with grace. I'm so encouraged as I read this. Jacob ends up with Laban. And there we move to Act 2, from two brothers to two sisters, the daughters of Laban, Leah and Rachel, who would become Jacob's wives. If I was going to give a subtitle to this chapter, we'd call it The Conning of the Con Artist. We find that in chapter 29. We'll start at verse 15. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. 
and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Okay, let's talk about that. What does the Bible mean when it says that Leah had weak eyes? It probably means she literally had cross eyes. It certainly meant that she was unattractive in terms of her whole outlook. And here is Rachel. She is, two statements, lovely in form, that's talking about her body, and she was also beautiful, that's talking about her face. What we have is a classic bombshell. So you have Leah, the older sister, living under the shadow of this gorgeous woman who's coming up from under her. Now, we often take this and we say, isn't it wonderful? What great love Jacob, who was such a noble man, had for Rachel, that he would work for seven years and then work for another seven years just to have her. That's love. No, it wasn't love. It wasn't love. Jacob is a really messed up guy here. He's a guy that has failed completely. He's tried his whole life to get the blessing and love of his father. And he shows one of the classic patterns for men who are like that. This is all about sex. And let me show you how I know that. If you go down to verse 21, after he's worked for seven years, he says, give me my wife. My time is complete, and I want to lie with her. Literally, he's saying, I want to have sex with her. Now, you have to understand how out of place that language is in his culture. It shows how much his heart has turned towards this sexuality that he would talk about it in those terms. Dignity would call for you to never speak about those things. The wedding was a cherished thing. Innocence was the focus. All Jacob really wanted to do was to finally lay with this bombshell. Jacob was still a very broken man. And like many men who don't have their heart filled and satisfied by the love of God, they go after satisfaction in the wrong way. Jacob's probably like some of you men here today. And as much as that takes Jacob down a notch or two, maybe that ought to give you a sense of hope that there's healing for you as well. First of all, he says, I just want to have sex with her. But secondly, working for seven years for Laban, he didn't even try to negotiate. This is roughly four times the actual price that a man would pay in that day as a dowry for a wife. Almost four times as much. Do you think Laban didn't see what was going on in Jacob when he offered himself up for four times the going rate in order to marry this woman? He knew there was a weakness here that he could exploit, and so he does. And so on the wedding night, the woman fully covered, unseen, lots of drinking, no electricity, into the bedroom, in the darkness, consummation, he wakes up in the morning and it's Leah. And he goes out to Laban and says, what have you done to me? And this is really good because what Laban says in verse 26, he says, well, in our country, we never let the younger be served over the older. And that little jab is why Jacob very quickly agreed to seven more years because Laban knew his con. He takes Rachel a week later and works for seven more years for Laban. And this becomes a really tragic scene for one part of that family, and that's Leah. We're going to wrap up by looking at Leah this week. And then we'll pick up the rest of the journey, how God takes this devastated family, and now this devastated extended family, 
and steps in and acts and brings grace and reconciliation. And, and we'll look at that next week. But we want to end with Leah's life here. She's the unwanted wife, thrown in for the bargain, and she's unloved. We pick it up at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Now, we're going to look at four of her children before there's a long pause. There's an ending to her fertility and then a reopening of her womb later on in the story. But she has four children, and these four children, by name, represent an emotional journey for Leah. The first one, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. Reuben is, see me in my misery. See me in my misery. We think of it as referring to God seeing her, and certainly God did see her in her misery. But what does she say at the end of it? I named him this way because surely now my husband will love me. Here's the key. Leah now spends her life longing for her husband's affirmation and love. Longing for it and never getting it. Do you see the reality here? Leah is Jacob's true soulmate. And he never sees it. In fact, Jacob does to Leah what his father did to him his whole life. How is that not a familiar pattern in today's society? Reuben, see my misery. Second name, Simeon, the one who hears me. Now, now. Jacob will hear me, will have some relationship. He'll notice me. He'll recognize me. We'll talk. Third son, Levi. Levi means attached. She says, now my husband will become attached to me. How agonizing is this? With each child, she's hoping that he'll see she's the one being the wife. She's the one giving him children. She deserves his love and then never getting it. And then finally, we see this fourth child, and there's a remarkable turn in Leah's outlook. She conceived again, verse 35, and she gave birth to a son, and she said, this time, those two words are as important as any in this verse, this time I will praise the Lord. And so she named him Judah, which means praise the Lord. How interesting, Leah hungering for the love of her earthly husband. And I would argue her earthly father who had abused her in this process finally relinquishes that search and turns to God and says, this time, this time, I'm going to turn to the father of the fatherless and the orphans. I'm going to turn to him for my love. I will praise God. And in that, Leah finds the fullness. She finds the blessing, and she finds it a lot earlier than Jacob does. It'll take Jacob a few more years, and we'll look at that next week. It's so powerful. It, let me just talk about how God blesses Leah well beyond her own life. She's the one who's unloved. She's the one who's unnoticed. Rachel is the object of Jacob's lust and affection and desire his whole life. Leah is outside of that, but yet she is the one through which God is going to fulfill his promise. There's two names here that I think are really important. The first one is the third 
child, Levi. You see, it would be Levi's descendants that God would choose as the tribe that would serve in the tabernacle. Think about that. God knew Leah was not loved, and so he loved her. And he blessed her seed by saying, it's your offspring that I will keep closest to me, that will serve me, that will come daily and offer sacrifice to me. I will stay near. I will cherish. They will serve me. That's beautiful. And that's just the appetizer. The big thing is Judah, because it was through Judah that would come the Christ of God. Leah, the unloved one, becomes the mother of our Jesus. That's precious. Just a couple of things to land here. I want to talk to dads today because it, it just shouts out, fathers, the incredible importance of your role in blessing, affirming, and loving not only your children, but your wives. It's so critical. Many of my accountability relationships with men in ministry, good, godly men, and men in this church as we've shared together, we're men who are doing our best to live lives to honor God, to be good husbands and good fathers where we're blessed to be that. It's amazing how much we are marked by our relationship with our earthly dad. Uh, I'm 56 years old. I thought I'd outgrown it a long time ago, and yet I still know when I call my dad, I'm still looking for daddy's blessing. <laughs> Crazy. I need it, and so do, so do you. Men, you have such power to fill and to bless your spouses and your children. And Think about what could be in their lives, as we've seen today, without you stepping up and being that. Second thing, if anything Jacob tells us, is that we can never get the blessing through our own efforts. When you try to seek the blessing through your own effort, you become a con man. You become a conniver. You end up hurting and taking from people around you. You do. Some of you know that. And then here's the third thing, which we'll reinforce next week. The best fathers in the world are imperfect. You know, in the end, we are all messed up. That's why we all need grace. And dads and husbands, the best you can do is open the path for the only true source of blessing and fulfillment. And Lee is the one that found that in this part of the story. And that's Abba's blessing. It's Abba Father's. It's our Heavenly Father's blessing. Ultimately, none of us can fully bless each other. It's our Heavenly Father's blessing. That brings the truest fulfillment and meaning. Oh, how he loves us. Let's take a minute and sit before your heavenly Father and hear him sing his blessing over you as his child whom he loves.